0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Seen It All. We break down this week's biggest movie and TV news. We got a lot to go through today. Haunting in Venice Review, None 2 Box Office. We got Aquaman 2 trailer, Harley Quinn Season 4 Review, along with one of the best episodes of Ahsoka. Ahsoka Episode 5. And we're going to talk about next week too with Equalizer 3. We have some news coming along there. But I want to first start us off with the talk. We're going to leave Haunting in Venice Review for the end of the show today. But I want to start us off. With some DC news. So, I want to stick in with that. As I said, DC news, I want us to start us off with firstly Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Aquaman 2. We're going to start off with Aquaman 2 news. So, it came out about a couple weeks ago rumors that Warner Brothers has completely abandoned the Stone after the performance of Shazam, Fury of the Gods, Flash, and then Blue Beetle. All those lost so much money for Warner Brothers. And the rumors came out that Warner Brothers has lost hope. They aren't going to do barely any marketing at all, and they're just going to let it be gone. And I'm like, that is the stupidest rumor I've ever seen. They are 100% going to at least put out a trailer, do some form of advertising, because the first one made a billion dollars. That was back in 2018, I believe. The only DCU film to ever make a billion dollars. The highest-grossing DC film outside of The Dark Knight, I believe. Or it might be the highest-grossing DC film now. That's crazy, and no one would ever predicted that. I actually really, really love the first Aquaman. I think that's like one of the best DC movies they've made. It's just very, very, very entertaining. And I, I then rumors came out after my love for the first Aquaman that we talked about a while ago was that Aquaman two people were walking out of test screenings. That does not bode well. That sounds awful. And then we had an article come out with how there's with been three different leadership changes throughout Warner throughout Warner Brothers through the time they've been making Aquaman Lost Kingdom, I'm pretty sure they started filming this film back in 2021, so it's been in the can for a long time, and people, they've been reworking it, James Wan still says it's his true vision, but who knows at this point, who knows what we're in for, I don't have too terribly much hope at this point, honestly, but we heard about that, we heard that rumor, and then Warner Brothers quietly pushed out a, a teaser for a teaser on Sunday night, this was also, it came out that this was like the most, the least amount of time between a trailer or anything from a movie till the movie for DC Studios. But they put on a little short teaser for the upcoming trailer, trailer which is just so stupid. It was a 30 second spot. And I was like, oh, this actually looks pretty good. I'm actually excited for this. Even though I've heard it's super awful, I think this actually looks pretty good. It got me excited to see the full trailer. I was like, why did not they just drop the full trailer? I think that would have made a lot more sense than saying, in four days, we're dropping the full trailer. It's so stupid. Just drop the full trailer while you're at it. I think they could have done something with it being the kickoff for NFL football on Thursday or even on Sunday. They just they should have planned it better. And then we got a first poster. Didn't look very good. It's in the thumbnail of this video. That first poster. Oh, it's a little rough. It's a little rough. And then we got the full trailer here. And I'm okay on it. It's not as cool as a teaser because we got more of the dialogue. The dialogue isn't very good. But I have faith. I have faith in my James Wan. James Wan made the best horror film ever, in my opinion, Unironically, I think the best horror film ever is Malignant, I love that movie so much, it's so insane, it's like my perfect, it's perfect, I love the first Aquaman, I love both the Conjuring movies James Wan did, I don't like Saw, I'm not watching Saw, I'm not watching the new one, I can't do that, I'm not putting myself through that, and I did like, what was it, the Furious 7, it was good, I mean, James Wan, I haven't said, I haven't come out in a movie not liking his, so hopefully this is not the first one, but I want to start going into my trailer thoughts, first of all, Amber Heard's Mera, Mira, Mera, I think. She's not in the, she's in one shot. And I hope James Wan says they didn't cut down her role at all in this because of the stuff that happened between her and Johnny Depp. But I hope that people can separate the art from the artist. I know it's hard, but for some people, for Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, I've kind of, like, I don't want to give any, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that situation, but I hope. We still don't. That doesn't detract from the character Mara making the whole movie itself bad. Like I don't want Amber Heard's drama and all that drama to degrade from Aquaman too. If that makes sense. I mean, not much degrading from Aquaman too, but I hope that doesn't feed into anything there because I liked her character in the first one. I liked the relationship they had with Arthur. But James Wan said this is a bromance movie between Patrick Wilson and and Jason Momoa, and I didn't like Patrick Wilson's villain in the first one at all. The Ocean Master, I thought he kind of sucked. So when they said he's gonna be like a main character, I was like, oh boy. I don't want to do this, but it seems like Nicole Kidman's taking over for the main female protagonist, and then Black Manta's going to power up as our villain. Even though Aquaman beat him, beat him to shreds last time, Aqu- Black Manta's going to be the villain this time. So, starting so breaking down that trailer. So we see that Aquaman now has a son, and from what the comics are, I'm seeing, I'm pretty sure his son gets like brutally murdered by Black Manta. I wonder if they do that here. Who knows? He had, he's living in his lighthouse. We see that lighthouse is coming under attack by Black Manta later. I love. I love when the when the heroes actually get to lose something. It's perfect. I love it. in My superhero storytelling. We see some crazy underwater action fight scenes. I thought the world building of Atlantis was amazing. I mean, it's not as good as Avatar. I don't think anything is, but it's definitely the second best underwater kingdom. It's underwater action scenes I've ever seen outside of Avatar. Avatar is on a league. It's in a league of its own. How good those those things are. But I love Avatar's more realistic in its colors. Like, take that back. No, they had bioluminescence everywhere, but this is more technology-based. And that, it just looks so cool to look at. There was some CGI stuff with Jason Moe's face in one shot that looked completely, it looked so bad. And I was like, I really hope they, with, give an extra two years, like this film was supposed to come out in 2021. I hope they use that time to make the CGI look really good, because I, I really need it to. That's like a big selling point of Aquaman here, right? Then we see uh, Timur Morrison's character playing his dad. I love that he's returning. Not too big a role. He never had a big role in the first one, but I love when he showed up in the flash too. I thought that was great. But we find out that Black Manta has a trident that was supposedly cursed or something. It's like a green glowing trident. And that led to terribly terrible stuff for the entire Atlantis kingdoms there used to be seven kingdoms which I think there still are kind of seven kingdoms three of them are died out I need to walk go back and watch the first aquaman again but I love we have tridents every every kingdom has their own trident let's have an all-out trident war i love stuff like that and it's from the action scenes we've seen between them fighting with tridents oh oh it's gonna be good and his grows his glows green aquaman's grows glows gold mm. oh, chef's kiss uh, we also see Aquaman, as we, it was revealed, like, the first image we saw this movie was Aquaman's new stealth suit, which I didn't think it literally meant, like, he's going to turn invisible. But nope, he turned invisible in his stealth suit. I like the blue look on Aquaman, but it still seems weird that he just com- turns completely blue here. But we still do see our Jason Momoa and his himbo energy. I love it. When he, when he slams into that rock to form a bridge, mm, watch, chef's kiss. It was beautiful. I love you, Jason Momoa. No, no harm can come to you, and I hope he, he's the best casting DC has ever made, And uh, I love him so much as Aquaman. He's just absolutely golden retriever energy up to the wazoo. It was amazing. And then also we see some beautiful shots here. I'm just like scrolling through the trailer as I talk through this. We see some beautiful shots here. We see some form of zombies. I wonder what they're doing there. I don't know. I kind of like the creatures. They were going to do a spinoff with Black Manta and focus on those dark creatures. I can't remember what they were called. That we saw in the first movie, to they, they dive into, and it was kind of creepy. I wish that it was focusing more on them, less on the zombies. I think those guys were cooler, but I guess they kind of used all that, all their leverage up with those characters in the first film. Who knows? I like those ones better. I like those ones better, but honestly, I was kind of a little underwhelmed by the trailer after they put out that amazing little short teaser. It looked visually cool, but whenever everybody started talking, I was like, oh, the dialogue doesn't seem very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't very good in the first film, but I still have high hopes, despite. My not love for any of the DC films this year, I thought they were all okay. None of them I called good or great. None of them I loved. I haven't loved a DC film. I love Batman, but I can't force myself to go rewatch. That movie is way too long. I love Suicide Squad. That's why the last DC film I would say I truly loved was The Suicide Squad. That was amazing. So hopefully, please let Aquaman rekindle my love for this universe because I absolutely loved the first Aquaman and I still do have really, really high hopes for this, this Aquaman right here now though to talk about harley quinn season four i'm just gonna do it briefly because i was gonna pair up these dc news with each other and harley quinn season four just wrapped up and i just want to talk about it no spoilers here but they had 10 episodes i wish they had 13 like the first two seasons but this this got me closer up to there as being on par with the first two first two seasons quality levels season three i thought was a bit of a step down from the first two but this one up there the jokes harley makes in the finale i just finished watching the finale it just they're just so funny i love that show so much and i love Love the race relationship between Harley and Ivy. I love all the surrounding characters. <clears throat> Excuse me. I love all the surrounding characters. Lex Luthor is kind of the main villain this time around. And I, I still don't think they topped the Dark Side villain when the Just they had to fight the Justice League and stuff like that back in season two. But yeah, it's a good show. I, I recommend checking it out. And the way they end this season, they better give us season five. I don't care if it's the last season. They just got to give us one more, please. I don't want to say goodbye to these characters just yet. And when I do, they're get, they better play, use their sad – they play a certain sad music whenever any emotional scenes come out. I was like, they're gonna, they are going to they got to use that crap whenever the show's about to over. And I still can't find it anywhere. So if anybody in the comments can let me know what the sad music it is in Harley Quinn. Every time they have an emotional scene, they play a certain beat. I'm like, I want that music. I want to have that music. I can't find it. I try to Shazam it. It's not working. But yeah, Harley Quinn absolutely love it they've kind of moved away from the whole crew thing focusing just on harley and ivy which i think is a good idea i think my favorite episodes of this entire season because season four is wrapped up now is definitely the one where they go back in time or they go in forward in time and see the apocalypse and they see their daughter their future daughter that was and their daughter is named natiri this is this episode is about three weeks now but their daughter's name is natiri that was the funniest crap ever they're like no way we name our daughter based off of avatar it was just, it had me dying on the floor, the stuff that happens in the future time travel, so yeah, Harley Quinn, I really love that show, and I do highly recommend it if you're a DC fan, it's very adult, but I definitely recommend it. Next up, I want to talk about the box office of this past week, and that we saw the opening of The Nun 2. The Nun 2 met box office expectations almost exactly, almost to the T, as the film grossed $32 million over the three-day weekend, as I said, As I said, right on the money for the experts. They were exactly perfect. And audience reactions, they were bad. They were worse than I had thought they were going to be. They're almost as bad as the first films, which is the first film had a C on cinema score, which is bad. And this one only has a C plus on cinema score. So it only went up just a little bit there. It's just, that's an awful score. And horror films typically have lower cinema scores When a horror breaks into an A on CinemaScore, you know that's an amazing, amazing movie. The only horror film since since the pandemic began that got an A was A Quiet Place 2, which received an A- on CinemaScore. Those movies which is so good. And I keep forgetting they're making a spinoff with Opinio Longo coming out in March. That movie's going to be so good. But A Quiet Place 2 was the first film to try, its really try exclusive theatrical run back in September, no, summer of 2021. It did exceptionally well. It opened with over 50 million on par with the first film. Went on to make over 200 million worldwide in a pandemic. And it was just a very good performance for a low budget horror film. Um, Talking about the Quiet Place tangent, I love the Quiet Place films. And that's how you do a good horror movie with heart, got it all right there that's a good one but it's way more to talk about a horror film that i actually love than the nun which i i came around to liking but i wouldn't call it good or great but i believe scream six and talk to me and evil Dead rise i probably say those are the three best horror films of the year those are the three top tier probably evil Dead rise or talk to me is probably my favorite those got a b plus on Cinema score and that's what you, you know you got to hit on your hands in the horror realm because people are scared so they're giving a lower score but people are still giving a high score so that means even out in the middle to people actually really loving it. I do not think that none, none too will have legs based on that very bad cinema score, but hey, it's better than the first one. At least we're, we're going up here. We're not going down. The first one came out in 2018 and that opened to $53 million, the best opening of the entire Conjuring franchise, which now has nine films and has made over $2.1 billion worldwide. Absolutely incredible for a small horror franchise just mind-boggling. I think most of that has to do with the conjuring films, although I think none might be the highest gross. Either Conjuring 2 or the Nun is the highest grossing in the Conjuring universe. Because those have the three conjuring movies. The third one went HBO Max and Theaters, so that doesn't really count. And then you have the three animal movies and now two nun movies. I think they're doing another spin-off or we're doing Conjuring 4 next year. I want to have a Conjuring All-Stars. Please give me a Conjuring All-Stars with and to go out just do a big bang with all the with the Warrens. I think that's what they're called. The Warrens. We gotta get the Nun up in here. We gotta get the the guy with the hat. And Annabelle, every every character, Avengers in game style, conjuring finish, and bring James Wan to direct back back to direct one final one. I would absolutely love that. Go out with a bang. They're never going to end this thing, but I love to end Warren's off with Patrick Wilson and Vera Famiga, both of whom I love, and I want to end it off with them. But the performance of the follow up of the Nun is nowhere near the excellent performance of the first one. That had a killer marketing with a killer Nun. That was absolutely amazing marketing. But it's still very good as a film. This film, Nun Two, has only has a budget of thirty five to forty million. So that's why horror movies are so profitable because they do not need a huge budget. It's actually an unusually large budget for a horror film. Typically, they try to keep them below 30 20000000 Uh I mostly think it was for the CGI battle towards the end of Nun Two. Was, I think it was mostly for that because they do some cool fire effects. Everybody's floating up in the air. People's bodies are getting tossed around, levitated around. They destroy a whole building. That's where all the money went, I think, right there because it didn't go to your actors because one of the actors is suing the suing Warner Brothers. But worldwide, the film opened even better as the film made $52 million overseas for a worldwide opening of 85 million. Wow, I didn't realize overseas audiences love The Nun so much. The film is going to make Warner Brothers and theaters make Warner Brothers and the theaters when they need it because of the strike. Still a 39% dip between the two films. Oh, and I also want to mention that in my I didn't mention my review last week because I didn't realize that the main actress of The Nun is Vera Farmiga's sister. I had no idea. They look similar, but I never registered in my mind. I hope they can interact. In our Conjuring All Stars universe, even if we have to make the younger sister look older because that's in the 50s, the Warrens are in like 80s, I think. I don't know, 70s or 80s. I think we just age her up, make her a little bit older. Go some ex- extensive makeup, but I think would be so cool. I want my Conjuring All Stars. I hope any of the creators are listening to this. Please make a Conjuring All Stars. I really would appreciate it. And then, as for other box office news, Equalizer Three did not fare so well in its second weekend after its tremendous Labor Day opening. Uh, again, it, it opened to the second biggest Labor Day opening. Ever, but it fell hard it fell 65% to a 12 million to making 12 million this past weekend I guess the audience for this film knew it was coming out and went and saw it and loved it but most of the audience that went out first weekend of word went out first weekend they didn't spread the word of mouth I think this has a specific niche audiences this film is for those type of fans but I don't think it spreads out to other circles and a big off big drop off this week is proving that also this wasn't a holiday weekend like last weekend so that also didn't help with the fall with the fall off this week, but also more R-rated films are coming. It's like there's a big saturation of R-rated content right now, and more that's coming. We need more big family films to release. Come on, Hollywood, schedule this crap better. I just realized that Trolls three comes out the seventeenth, Hunger Games comes out the seventeenth, and then Wish comes out the week after that. Why? Those are family. I don't know about Hunger Games, but those are appealing to younger demographic. None of these films that are coming out right now are like they're like all rated until and, and except for like Saw Patrol. No, no, I just combined them together. I mean, Paw Patrol. Why didn't we stick a family movie somewhere in late end of September, around there? Not, a, not Paw Patrol, it doesn't count. I would have stuck something bigger here. It just feels like we're just squishing it all together and it's just going to overwhelm the audience like it did in June and July. And I feel like they just need a better, better schedule your crap. Like, people are getting paid millions of dollars to schedule stuff. I could do a better job of it for you. Uh, Denzel still making money, though. This film is over $100 million worldwide and will likely turn a small profit for the studio. They should be overall happy with its performance, but it's definitely time for this franchise to end. There's only so much you can do with Denzel sneaking around corners and slicing people's throats at the end of the day. Um, last film that came out this past weekend that I did not see is My Big Fat Greet Wedding 3. I have not seen My Big Fat Greet Wedding 1. I have not seen My Big Fat Greet Wedding 2. I have not seen My Big Fat Greet Wedding 3, nor will I ever. I may see the first one. That is it. I did not know there was a second one, and I found out the first one is really good, but the subsequent sequel, subsequent sequels are just awful, which I could have told you from just seeing the trailer that this now has a 30, I think it has like 30% of Rotten Tomatoes. I could have predicted that. predict predicted that day one I saw that trailer, and also day two when I saw that poster with the awful Photoshop heads. I could have told you, that's a, that's a rotten on Rotten Tomatoes right there, but it made more money than I thought it would. The film opened to 10 million this weekend, which is actually pretty good considering I saw no marketing for this film outside of the movie theaters. It played the trailer in front of other films. But so yeah, this poor performance is nowhere near the original, which legged out to 376 million worldwide. Wow, they're never going to capture that, but couldn't find a budget for this film either. But it's still very high. $10 million for this? That was pretty good. I'm pretty impressed. So yeah, I'm I'm really surprised. Next up, I've got some Star Wars news, and that is Ahsoka Episode 5 is out now. I was a little uh, by the way, we're going to get delve into spoilers here. This is a full sto- spoiler discussion of episode 5. If you want to skip forward to my review only of Honey and Venice, go right ahead if you're listening to the full podcast. But it's a little underwhelmed because of how much the anticipation they built up for it. I think episode 4 was much better than this. Um, I honestly think that Dave Filoni's directing is still not up to par because I thought... I thought the first episode he did and the fifth episode are not as good as the other three that were directed by Steph Green. Pretty sure that's her name. And then Peter Ramsey in that last week. I really hope he can pick up his game by the time he his film rolls around. I think that's supposed to be 2026 now. Or he hires one of his main directors from his shows. Like I said Peter Ramsey or Bryce Dallas Howard or Rick Femme, you hire one of them. because I feel like there's some really great choices right now. I feel like they're honestly more experienced. Bryce Dallas Howard didn't start directing until Mandalorian, but I feel like she's better at directing than Dave Filoni is sometimes. I feel like he's much better overall creative head like George Lucas was rather than individually writing the stuff by himself because he can't do dialogue that well just like George Lucas and I don't think he can direct as well as others can. So I feel like he needs to become the new George Lucas just as a creative force driving the stories rather than writing himself and directing himself. Back to the episode it's broken down to two parts and I felt that both parts sir had under had underwhelming aspects. This episode if it was put in theaters and not last week's episode. I, that just didn't make no sense. I would still call this episode pretty good, but the overhyping made me disappointing, to be honest. I think without it, I would have probably been like, oh, that's pretty good. This is a continuation. It was not as good as last week's, but I wouldn't have as much anticipation as if they didn't screen a movie theaters, They were promoting it. They were like, this is the best one. And I don't think it is. But let's begin with breaking it down and going through everything. So we start off with Hera and Jason. Jason has force powers like his father. I love that he has force powers like his dad, Kane, And they came in pretty useful this episode as they. I had no idea what happened to Ahsoka and Sabine. I didn't even realize that, that they had no idea what was going on. They showed up, everybody's gone. Um, and they were left out in the cold just like they were at the end of this episode, which I'll rant about in a bit. But Mary Elizabeth Winstead acting, the woman who plays Hera, she was acting her butt off. Chopper being his crazy war criminal self and the conflict between the general, General Syndulla and the Senate council members. That's really the only thing that I'm really thrilled with this plot line. Everything else I can kind of take or leave it. Um, I don't know, i I still don't love when we put little kids, like under 13, in shows and major roles, and it kind of feels like Hera is being held back because of by being with Jason all the time. I wanted her to go on the mission with the rest of the group at the end of the show. I also wanted her to stay, wanted to stay, screw the Senate. Maybe she'll do that in some form in next week, but I would love to see it. I just, why do we have to get, hold her back because she's with her kid? I wanted her to go with Ahsoka and Huyang to go get back her, basically kind of her daughter Sabine or really close friend. I don't know. I just would, do we get rid of the kid or bring the kid with you? For all I care, just stop having. Mary elizabeth with Winside, I have to stay back. I want Hera, the general, to go on the mission with everybody. But here are the scenes that broke the internet on our definitely why the episode was screening something. There's Ahsoka versus Anakin. The first thing they do when they meet is they break out and lightsaber fights as Anakin's like, Ahsoka, defend your defend your life. I want you have to beat me. And they a pretty cool one, a pretty cool lightsaber fight, i was sad but I didn't think it was filmed as good as last week's episodes. Those last weeks were filmed by Peter Ramsey. I think it did a better job of going around the set. I mean, there's not much of a set in the world between worlds because it's just like a line, but I feel like you could have done stuff where you go up under them and go around them. I didn't feel like it just didn't film as very good, but Anakin knocks Ahsoka off the timeline where they were standing, and we fall into some flashbacks to the beginning of the Clone Wars when Ahsoka was just beginning her training, and we are shown one of the earlier fights in the Clone Wars. I'm not sure which fight. I've seen Clone Wars. I've seen it all the way through once. I've rewatched my favorite episodes i'm not a huge lover of clone wars there's some like the finale and a few different arcs in there that i absolutely adore but a lot of it's really bad i gotta say a lot of it is really bad there's a lot of filler so i don't recall every single and i can't the only clone i can point out you is fives because he got that big tattoo on his head and then rex that is oh maybe shoot i already forgot his name so probably just rex and fives that's about it i know there's one named jesse he died. I don't know which one that is. See, I can't, I can't tell them apart. Everybody in the reviews is like, oh, they're so indistinct. They're so distinguishable. I can tell them apart all by one. This one does this. This one does that. I'm like, I have no idea. That one's Rex. There you go. I got that. I got that far. He's amazing. But w- it looked cool. The fight we saw looked cool and Captain Rex and all their clones, their phase one armor. So this was early in timeline. So close fight probably about 14 here. But I do want to say that both the fights we saw, we saw two fights in the flashback. Uh, we're heavily covered up by smoke and debris. And I was like, "Are, are you saving a ton of money here, Disney? I, I see you. I want to see the whole battle. And it, I understand we're trying to focus on the characters, but I feel like if they're at a battle, can you let me see the battle and not make it look like a fan film? Also, they didn't show Tamura Morrison's face as because he played the he played the clones when they had him. They didn't have to de-age him because they had that one clone's face like wrapped up, and they they, they didn't want to show the dead clone's head because they did not want to de-age him too. But they do de-age. Hayden Christensen. And I think it looked absolutely flawless here. I kept looking at it and it looked super good. I really was thoroughly impressed. Way better than the Indiana Jones de Maybe that was closer up. I feel like they could have shot that better. If it looks this good in here, why can we make Indiana Jones look that good? But it did not take me out of any of the scenes. The only effects in the episode that I was questioning was the, the Lekus, like her headpiece on Ahsoka's younger self. They just seem more fan-made than the TV show re- like the older Ahsoka's are. Older Ahsoka's look amazing. But especially the Battle of Mandalore, Maybe it was just the length of them. It just looks so odd. They just seemed off and at points. The Siege of Mandalore scene, was showed kind of look fan-made too. It just, it looked, the, the costumes didn't look quite right. It looked just really like a Clone Wars live action fan film, with the, especially with the debris and stuff. It just, it feels like, I was like, I'm watching YouTube video for a second. It just kind of took me out of it. But back to the first battle, Anakin and Ahsoka, they argue about fighting and I wish we delved more in the ideas because Ahsoka was essentially drafted and I love when stories take the free will of someone and they begin to question the morality of what they're doing. Awesome. I wish we would have gotten flashback to Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order, though, because she left because she didn't want to fight anymore, and I absolutely love that storyline. But then we can get the best shot in the entire show, and that is as Anakin walks off off as blasters come through. It cuts between him and Darth Vader in the same pose. I'm like, chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Beautiful. It was so cool. They even do it later whenever he's fighting adult Ahsoka. It looked looked amazing. Then, too, I was like, wow. I love this. I love this right here. The Clone Wars battles were cool, but I think if we were choosing the flashbacks, I would have chosen Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order, which is at the end of season five of Clone Wars. Watch that four episode arc. It's absolutely amazing. And the scene where she discovers Anakin and Darth Vader from Rebels. I feel like both these scenes have such incredible emotion. And I was hoping new fans of Ahsoka would be able to experience those moments. And I wanted to relive them for a second. I might go back and rewatch those at this point, but I feel like those were the more important flashbacks to show rather than these ones. I don't know. They just didn't quite fit. Also, before we get away from talking about the flashbacks, we see Ariana Greenblatt is the actress who plays younger, the younger version of the space hero. Of We see Ariana Greenblatt, Greenblatt play another version, younger version of a space hero with makeup on, Gamora and now Ahsoka. If I had a nickel for every time she did that, I would have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird it happened twice because she played, as I said, Gamora and Ahsoka. I don't... But she's awesome here, and she's just in Barbie, so she's ruling the world. She's getting so much work, and she absolutely did amazing as Ahsoka's younger self. She really held her own against in Christensen, who had a while to perfect that Dave Filoni and George Lucas-style dialogue, which, some of that George lucas dialogue, whoo, that's rough, that is horrendous, and she did a really good job with it. But we see Ahsoka finally beats Anakin in a lightsaber fight, and Anakin leaves. I thought he would have stayed around for the entire episode, because he really didn't get that much from this. I was hoping she would get her spunk back, adult Ahsoka, because she's kind of really depressing but maybe a little, maybe she did a little, but this experience didn't really seem to make an impact on her at all. She didn't even mention it. And I don't know if anybody knows that her master is Anakin. At least tell someone, Hera, maybe we could have had an emotional conversation between Ahsoka and Hera about how Ahsoka feels to blame for what happened to Anakin. I wish we could have seen her resolve that issue or something like the puzzle pieces were there. We just didn't stick them together. I feel like there was so much more emotion underlying that. They really could have, they could have cast that check. They could have really shown that how Ahsoka left Anakin Because she didn't feel right fighting these people. And then she blames herself for Anakin becoming Darth Vader. Because she wasn't there for them. But no one. She's not inviting anybody else into this. I'm like tell somebody. I want to see this emotion laid out. I feel like we could have had something really amazing. It was still good. But it could have been freaking amazing. And now we get to the second half of the episode. Where we see them rescue Ahsoka. And it goes very slow from this point on. Uh, we We see the Senate Council's mad at Hera. And now they're coming after all of them for disregarding orders. How is it? ahsoka finds out that sabine is with the sith and morgan by doing some force powers, and they so they come up with a plan for ahsoka to hitch a ride on the Pergil, which are the space wells in hopes of getting to sabine in time ahsoka she force talks to them that was a cool scene with her i love her white outfit her white cloak mm, it was good it was good and she has to force talk to them i thought the effects looked really good there but she goes and takes her ship parks her right inside of the giant Pergil's Pergil's mouth which was interesting although hera doesn't go with her. I wanted Hera to go with her, but at least we're getting still getting updates on what's happening with the New Republic side from Hera, but Ahsoka goes on a light speed. The effect of the whales is so freaking cool, and her saying goodbye to Hera made me feel so giddy inside, almost exclusively because of Mary Elizabeth Winstead's acting, especially when she says, may the Force be with you. I was like, I buy it. I want, you should be coming. Go with her. If it is isn't obvious point, I think is probably my favorite character in the show. Ahsoka's just not as much life as she was in the Clone Wars, so and I feel like it's kind of a good thing, because it moved the character forward, but I was like, I kind of miss the fun of Ahsoka, but Hera, go with her, go with her, but you see the light flash from inside the Pergil's mouth, and Ahsoka and Huang are on their way to get Sabine back, and maybe next week, we'll finally see Thrawn and Ezra, oh boy, that'll be a good one, I want to see Thrawn and Ezra back, I'm ready for some crap to go down, I'm ready for it, so yeah, I'm definitely underwhelmed by this episode, and you can see why with all the points I've laid out, but I still thought it was a good episode, definitely does not live up to the powerhouse that was last week's episode, that was just Beautiful. Let's get Soko back up to that level. I'm ready for all for Sabine and all the villains to get back up in here. The last piece of news I want to talk about today, or not news, is my Haunting in Venice review, the new Hercule Poirot film. I absolutely love the first Hercule Poirot films, um, Death on the Nile. I actually like more than Murder on, Murder on the Order Express. My whole family loves them, actually, and I know they're not super favorite among audiences and among movie fans, but the movie audience as a whole but we love them i did not love the direction they were going with this film and the more horror element i love that tina fey michelle Yore joining the cast but i don't know what to think of the movie i didn't know about the horror moments how it was going to be and i like my murder mysteries pretty cut slick cut and dry and i felt like i got that with death and now murder the express and all the knives out movies so i me and my whole family are a big proponent of murder mystery movies and i was really hoping to get delivered on here but it delivered all that i wanted from a murder mystery i wanted to engage in murder with a satisfying reveal that I did not see fully coming. I got that from from, a, from haunting, event. haunting in Venice. I'm sorry, these, t- these titles are so long, they're hard and confusing. But I got, I was engaged with the murder. But I want to go through and try to break down everything and review everything I can without actually revealing who was murdered, who did it, or why anyone did it. So no spoilers at all. I'm, I'm warning, I'm not spoiling anything. I'm trying to hard. But I want to start with the marketing for these movies. And I love the, that they do not give away who was even murdered in the first place. None of the Knives Out movies did. Maybe the first Knives Out gave away who was murdered. Second, Knives Out didn't give away who was murdered. All the, mur- the Besides murder on the not Express, Death on the Nile didn't give away who was murdered, and this film doesn't give away who was murdered. And I love that they do that. It keeps me out there from my seat knowing, oh, I have no idea who's going to get murdered either. And who of this all-star cast, this one didn't really have an all-star cast, but in like, Knives Out or Death on the Nile, I was like, oh, who's going to die? I wonder who- which star they're going to kill off. And it was very interesting to see it unfold. I just love I love how they marketed them now back to the film itself it was just it was just so cozy it was raining and the film takes place all in one night on halloween i don't understand the release date they don't have it i feel like this they didn't play up that it was on all hallows eve i didn't realize it was on all hallows eve until i made it into the film itself and i feel like they could have played that up in the marketing got a few more people out like oh this halloween celebration they should have put this sometime in halloween i guess disney is really fumbling the bag with all of their halloween releases the film that is releasing from them that is closest to halloween is the creator how is that the film that's closest to Halloween when you have this film and Haunted Mansion? I don't understand how they're releasing this at all. But I do love that. Thank God they released it in the fall. And it was also it was rainy outside when I was watching this and it was a little getting a little chilly. I mean it's still like 80 degrees, but I was like, okay, I'm ready for fall. This is gonna be cozy and I love it. Even though there's murders, it was still cozy. It was darkly lit, rooms with fire. Loved it. There are some supernatural elements here before, as I said, the horror stuff, supernatural-wise. Um there's, the house is supposedly haunted, they're standing, they have a little background with children that were murdered with plagues and stuff like that, they have a, I like how they set it up in the very beginning, which makes you question how someone died, because the main person that died, you're like, was it actually a person, or was it supernatural, they keep you guessing, I love how they resolved this said issue, and I'm not going to delve into how they did, but I do love how they resolved that issue, so as for the cast, I want to talk about the standouts, so first you, of course, you have your leading man, here Pa Rowe, played by Kenneth Brana, who is also the director of the film, and he does some Excellent shots in this movie. I was like, "Oh, it's so pretty to look at." Added to the cozy feeling, I love spending time in Venice. I want to go there one day before it goes all underwater. But Hugh O'Parro, he's a little bit frazzled in this one. If I do say that, he's he's just a tad he's a tad bit frazzled here, and I think he plays that very well. And I I did like his character. I love seeing him come back in here. Um, and then we have Tina Fey, who's a newcomer, and they are played old friends. I love Tina Fey. I love her in Only Murders Building. She wrote Mean Girls. She's in SNL. I love Tina Fey. I love that she showed up here. She's like an old friend. And I think the best line she had was using the trailer. says, I'm the smartest person I know. I can't figure this out. So I came to the second smartest person I know. That's you, Hercule Poirot." I loved it. And the revelation they have with her, she's more involved than I thought she was going to be. And I like that. I, I just I hope she comes back for a fourth one, honestly. I mean, who knows what happens to her character. But I'd love to see her stick around as a part of the crew. Then we have Michelle Yeoh who's probably the biggest star now that's starring in the film. She doesn't play anybody that has that has any karate abilities. It's kind of cool to see. She plays a a medium, a psychic. She does a good job with that. She has a few scares in there. She honestly doesn't have a ton to do. But on the, they sold her they sold the movie with her. But she did her part well. I mean, there wasn't anything crazy stand that I haven't seen Michelle Yeoh Ye- Ye- do Michelle Yeoh do before. I mean, there's a reason she won an Oscar and you can see it here. She's a great actress. Then we have Jamie Durnham, I think is his name. And everybody's playing up like, oh, I think he was in Belfast. He worked with Belfast with Kenne Brana, Kenneth Branagh, which won Kenneth Branagh his Oscar. And everybody was saying how, oh, Jamie Durman can't work with anybody except for, her, for uh, Kenneth Branagh. He's the best with him. He didn't do much here. He, had, he didn't have very many scenes and everything he did. I was like, I don't like this character. Can we go back to someone more interesting? He plays a doctor. Nothing much with him. I mean, he's kind of they sold the movie with him too. I was like, I don't I don't care about this character. And something happens with him and I'm like, I don't care. I don't, I don't care about the revelations regarding him. Also, the mom. She was probably the other big standout. I don't know the actress's name, but she has a big part to play, and they didn't really play her up in the advertising. <laughs> Excuse me. She's one of the blondes. Blonde mom. She has interesting reveals about herself. I liked her character. She was probably the most in-depth besides the main stars we got on any of these characters. There's a few other characters. They're like siblings. There's a cop that's Kuparo's old friend as well. And then there's a creepy kid who I was like, the creepy kid... What the heck is up with this? I don't like this. The creepy kid, he does something by the end of it. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't like you anymore. And so I mean we have our standout cast. He locks them in there. I love when the when her crew barrel just locks them in there, like, nope, nobody's leaving until we solve this murder. I love it. I'm like, just keep everybody in here. Let's get wrap this crap up so we can be done. <clears throat> Excuse me. I like when the murderers all have just. Dis- well all I like when the not the murderers, but the suspects. I like when they all have every have distinct personalities. Ryan Johnson, I think, who's director of the Knives Out films, I think he does better with giving everyone unique characteristics here. And I think that one thing lacking from the Hercule Paro films, even though I do love them, they're just not on the level of Knives Out for me because they have don't have the standout characters like the Benoit Blanc movies do. And I wish everybody was a little bit more distinct I'm like, wait, who are they again? I think you need an identifiable name like like I said, that's the mother, that's the doctor. That's, instead of using the actual names, they could come up with names like that. Just like they did in Knives Out where like, this is this person. Instead of having to remember their names, it's a lot easier when you have a distinct spots they have to go in because when they're like oh the brother did it you'd be like oh okay I know exactly what you're talking about rather than Richard did it I don't know who Richard is but (laughs) that gives nothing away about the haunting minutes by the way there's no character named Richard at least not that I remember but it's a perfect runtime though it's only like an hour and 43 minutes and I felt like I got in I got my murder I got my resolution to the murder in a very clear way and I think it's better than murder on the orient express but I still like death on the Nile more I think me and my me I and my family are like the only defenders of that movie. I love Death on Now. I feel like it's a lot more roundabout. It's too long though. This movie's not as long as Death on Now, but I love Death on Now more, but I still call this a pretty good murder mystery movie. As for other people's reactions, the reactions have been pretty good for the film. It, as it comes in at, I think right now it's like 87% Rotten Tomatoes. That's really good. I think audiences are going to eat up another adventure Hercule Poirot franchise. Death on the Isle has about 62% on Rotten Tomatoes and Murder on the Orient Express is 61% on Rotten Tomatoes, so critics think both of those have the same quality level. I think Haunting of Venice will probably perform better than Death on the Nile* did, which came out in COVID time and then opened like 15 million, but it's definitely not going to do as good as Murder on the Orient Express. We'll have the Johnny Depp. It had so much more star power and that opened like 30 million. That had Michelle Pfeiffer too. I'm like, I want to go back to that crazy cast because there's not really huge stars in this one. I feel like they could have done if they do another one, if they do a fourth one, which I'd like to see. I love me some good murder mystery. I hope they bring back some more bigger stars. That, that, I mean, you can kill them off, but I just hope we get some bigger stars in here rather than these kind of like C-level stars, besides Michelle Yeoh and Tina Fey. But the rest of them are like, I've never seen them in anything before. So yeah, good murder mystery film. I enjoyed my time here. I didn't think it was anything special. Nothing like I was dying to see again. But I probably won't watch this film again for a long time. But it's a murder mystery. I got to get got out. So yeah, I'd give it a thumbs up. I'm not dying to go see it again, as I said, but a good murder mystery. If you're a murder mystery fan, totally check it out. Totally check it out. As for what's coming next week, we have the big new movie release is Expendables 4. I will not be seeing this movie. That night is my homecoming parade. No way am I missing a parade for Expendables 4. I've never seen an Expendables film and I'm glad I will never have to. I love the concept of 80 action 80s action movie stars all teaming up, but I feel like it's overstated its welcome at this point. I mean, we're putting Megan Fox in these movies now and I and Jason Statham Jason Statham and her are the leads. It just doesn't look appealing to me one bit. The only thing I loved about the marketing campaign was a slogan that that said that on the poster says, they'll die when they're dead. That got a laugh out of me. It's so stupid I love it. So if the reviews come out, and it's so stupid that people love it, I might force myself to check it out eventually. Just not opening night, and you probably won't see my review on it at all, but I, I might bring a big group of people just to laugh at it. If they have jokes like that, maybe. But definitely not reviewing this film on next week's episode of Scene It All, but that'll do it for this week's episode of Scene It All. Did you see Honey in Venice? Did you see who the murderer was? Did you watch Soak Episode 5? Did you see all the Anakin stuff? What else to also talk about? None to box office, and then DC film. Do you have hope in Aquaman 2? Or have you lost hope at this point? I mean, I shouldn't have any hope at this point, but look, here we are. (laughs) But what did you think? Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, follow me on my socials, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and check back next week, next Friday, for the next episode of Seeing All. Thank y'all for listening. Have a good night now. Bye-bye.